0: Um, So we kind of are transitioning now from uh, the first part of this series, the the past forward. We talk about the past and showed a lot of embarrassing pictures. I appreciate that. And uh, and, uh, we're going to talk about uh, going forward now, the next 30 years. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to move forward. And uh, today I want to share a passage with you that is... uh, um, yeah, kind of one of my life verses. But before I do that, we kind of went out and asked the kids, what does the next 30 years look like for you? And so we got some very informative answers. Check it out. Hey
1: guys, Seacoast hit their 30 year anniversary. So we thought it might be fun to talk to a couple of the experts to see what the next 30 might look like for them. Luca, do you know anybody who's 30 years old? Yeah. Who? You? I- I thank you very much. Um. Hey, so do you know any 30-year-olds? What? Yeah, it's a tough question. Can you count to 30? No. It's a big number. What are you going to do when you're 30 years old? Be a teacher. Oh, cool. What would you like to teach? Um, kids to Um, ABCs and the numbers Yeah. count to 119. I think that's a very specific number and I like that number a lot. You're gonna teach them to count to 119. What would you like to do when you grow up? Race car driver. Very cool, race car driver. How fast would you drive? Super, super fast. Super fast? How fast is it? Is it like this? (laughs) Is it like that? But you wouldn't crash your car, would you? No. I just don't go around this car. Yeah. What would you like to do at Seacoast as a grown-up? I would go on stage and actually like teach a sermon maybe. That is so cool. So you would use your talents. Yes. And then spread those talents amongst the wonderful people that are coming to Seacoast. The peers. The peers. If you could change anything, add anything you wanted to the church, what do you guys want? A money tree. A money tree! What a great idea. How come we haven't thought of that yet? What would you like to be involved with here at the church? Sing. You wanna sing? (gasps) Um, my family's gonna be in the band, so my, I'm, so I'm gonna, do the singing and my daddy's gonna do the guitar and my mommy's gonna do the drums and um, my brother's going to do the piano so your whole family is going to be your band where is Connor gonna be in Seacoast what are you gonna be doing are you gonna be working behind the scenes in like movies are you gonna be working with a worship team what do you think Maybe like Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. That's so cool. What do you think you would like to see to make it even cooler than it is now? Wait, I have a good idea. What is a it? A train going around the ceiling a around tra- the lights. A light. ceiling train is something I would like to see. Like, like instead of like those mini ones, it would be like this. Okay, one. so it would be a larger train. Yeah. Not like a little tiny toy train. It would be a bigger one like that. Yeah, and it would be like. Mm, choo, choo, going around every single light bulb and every single light in the room. Okay. Wait. You, well, I got Buzz Lightyear. You got Buzz Lightyear? Uh mm-hmm. huh. Um, what is what is Buzz, Buzz Lightyear's favorite line to say? To infinity and beyond. To infinity and your mom. <laughs> uh, to infinity. Your mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we always like to get as much input as we can get. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, so, um, yeah, today uh, I want uh, to talk about one of my life verses. Last week kind of shared a couple of hers. And I want to talk about one of my life verses. I want to talk about how it kind of uh, uh, actually misunderstanding about that verse a few years ago kind of got me in trouble, got me a little confused. So, uh, yeah, uh, before I do that, I want to tell you how my weekend started. So I woke up yesterday uh, dizzy. Not I woke up because I was dizzy. Uh, I was so dizzy. I actually woke up and my eyes would not stop moving. And uh, I don't know if you ever had that before. I, I never, never heard of it even. So involuntary eye movement. And uh, so, of course, I closed them, <laughs> which didn't help the dizziness. And so I opened them again and it was still moving. They were moving. I couldn't stop them. And, uh, and so um, I, I closed them again and I set up and opened them and this time they were fine. And I'm like, okay, something weird is going on. So I sneak out of the bedroom. It's really early in the morning and I want to wake up Connie. So over the next, I go to the other room and uh, over the next hour and a half or so it gets worse and it comes and it goes until finally I am hugging a wastebasket uh, because the nausea is so bad it's now um, physically, um, you know. And uh, and so I'm sitting there hugging the wastebasket and so dizzy I can't even sit up. And it gets worse when I close my eyes, and my eyes aren't working when they're open. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? What is the deal here? And some, you know, food poisoning? No, I don't know. And so Connie calls and she hears the, uh, the exercise I'm doing with the basket. And. Um, <laughs> Comes in, and she goes, "What is wrong with you?" I said, "I don't know. It's bad." She calls Cody to tell him, "You better get to the office, and start studying, because Dad's not gonna, you know, be able to deliver this weekend." And instead of going to the office, study, he comes over, and to the house. "What's wrong with you?" I said, "I don't know." I'm, you know, and, and he goes, "Okay, well, we're gonna fix you." it's easier than finding a new sermon, we're going to fix you. And I'm like, great, that's wonderful, I'm so excited. And he goes, uh, so he goes online and starts searching, he goes, okay, I know how to fix it. And I'm thinking, I don't even remember you getting uh, uh, a a medical degree of any kind, but... And so he says, here's what we're going to do. Lay down. And he takes my head and he goes like this. Then he goes like this. Then he goes, that feel better? Said, no, I'm still throwing up. Leave me alone. And he says, uh, no, no, here's what we're going to do. Now sit like this on the floor. And he sits down. And I'm thinking, I can't sit like that on the floor when I'm not dizzy, much less when I'm dizzy. You're driving me nuts, kid. So um, so anyway, he goes, okay, now here's what we're going to do. Uh, and so I'm, I'm still, I'm like this. I got the basket right here. And, uh, and so he's like, all right, look up the ceiling. So we look up the ceiling. All right, now I want you to now I want you to go upside down on your knees. I want your to head to be down, kind of tucked back in a little bit. And and I'm like, is this some kind of you know, demented version of yoga? I don't, you know, what are you doing? This is like downward duck or something. I don't know what this thing is And so now turn your head to the right, and then turn your head to the left, okay, and we'll hold it that way. And then you look at me, and okay, now we sit up. Is it better? And surprisingly it was. It was a little bit better. I'm like, he goes, you good now? No, I'm still sick, but it's a little bit. Well, let's do it again. Oh, good. And so uh, <laughs> okay. I, I would have swung at him if I uh, couldn't find him. He was just spinning. So anyway, so uh, we did it again. And sure enough, I, I was still sick, but I, I wasn't dizzy. My eyes were, And so, yeah, so that's how I started yesterday morning. So someone came up afterwards uh, after the last service said, you know what that is? I work at an ear-nose and eye-ear-nose guy, whatever. And, and you know what that is? And you actually, the exercise he put you through can make it worse, not better. <laughs> I knew that kid was out to get me. So anyway, so that's how I started my weekend. So I just tell you that to so feel sorry for me. And, uh, and also to explain, if I fall off the stage, you'll know why. So um, actually, I, I want to use that as kind of an interesting uh, maybe metaphor for how I think some of us go through life. We're a little bit dizzy about what the point is, and we can't see clearly. And uh, until you come to grips with the passage I'm going to talk about today, I don't think you really are on balance and have a good feel for what your life should be like until you come to grips with this issue. It's an issue I've talked about a lot. It's one of my favorite issues because I think until you understand this thing that we're going to talk about, you really do go through life a little bit dizzy, a little bit out of focus, and a little off balance. And even as a Christian until you come to grips with it. So this is one of my life verses, and I'll tell you kind of toward the end why I kind of uh, my misunderstanding of this passage kind of got me in trouble a few years ago. It's found in Acts thirteen thirty six. I discovered this passage a long, long time ago, and, uh, and I identified with it, uh, and I'll tell you later maybe some wrong reasons I identified with it, but there's some good ones to start with. So here's what it says. It says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried uh, with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Now, this is in the context of Paul telling some Jews about the Messiah and some God-fearing Gentiles who become Jews as well. And so in the Old Testament, he is um, enumerating for them the prophecies and the lineage leading up to Christ being the Messiah. And so at one point, he comes through and talks about David. So the point of this passage is about Jesus, not about David. But when I read this about David, something clicked for me. I kind of went, oh. And and, and it is this. David served God's purpose for him in his own generation. David served God's purpose. David had a purpose for being on the earth. Here's what I want to suggest scripture teaches us, is that God has a purpose for every one of us being here. So if I were to ask you, why are you here? you can maybe give me the causation my parents loved each other and and got together but you may not know the reason you're here because here's the deal you aren't just an accident you're not just here by accident and you're not just here for yourself God has you here for a purpose now Even as Christians, uh, we need to understand that. I I find so many Christians that don't understand this. So not only why are you here on this earth, but even why are you in this room? I believe God may have you here for a reason, to hear something today that helps you with your purpose. If you don't know why you're here, you just walk around through life a little dizzy, a little off balance, not knowing what you're really supposed to be doing. Uh, So um, even as Christians, it it would be interesting. We don't become Christians. Uh, Maybe the question should be, why are you still here? Because if the only reason you become a Christian is to be forgiven for all the bad stuff you've done and know you're going to heaven, the minute you become a Christian, God can just go, okay, you're in, you're a good being. But he leaves you here because you're still here and you're still breathing. Why? Because there's more you need to do, all right? So there's uh, some, some words I want to talk about. I want to talk about from and to, from and to, and I want to talk about in and through. From and to, in and through, right? So when we become a Christian, we call it getting saved. You're saved from all the bad things you've done wrong. You're saved from eternal destination without God. You're saved from not only the bad things, but the trajectory of your life uh, when you were on your own, when you were just living however your intuition told you to live or even you're inculcated to live by, by uh, society or whatever. So we are saved from that. So if I think about who I was becoming before Christ captured my heart and redirected my life, I think about that. And I, I don't like thinking about that because it's probably not a good place. All right. The trajectory of my life but I was saved from that, and I'm so grateful, but if all I was was saved from something, it doesn't fully make sense, because I want to suggest we're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. God doesn't just save us from our bad deeds, our bad habits, even our bad direction. He saves us to in order that we might contribute, that we might have impact in our world, in our relationships. And so a lot of Christians just get the first part. Okay, I want to be a Christian so I can be forgiven for all the stuff I've done, and I'll make it to heaven, okay? Well, so there's another thing that Christians misunderstand, and that's the in and through part. So when I I become a Christian, I begin to allow God to work in me, in me, to change my character, to change my desires, to change my bad habits, my bad thoughts, stuff like that. And so God begins to work in me, but the problem is, is, if all we ever do is think that we're Christians so we can have God work in us, we miss the funnest part of Christianity, and that's the God working through us part. So when God is working in me, we're working on my bad habits, my bad thoughts, my my stuff that needs healing, all that stuff. It's hard work. I, this is my experience. When God is working in me, working in my in my character and growing me, it is hard work because I got to cooperate with that. That means I got I got to stop carrying around those bad thoughts or I got I got to stop nursing those wounds or I got to I got to get honest about my stuff that is hard work and what I find is a lot of Christians uh, just settle for the part where God works in them but never get to the God works through them see that's the fun part of Christianity when you begin to allow God to not only work in you to change you but through you to help others understand how much he loves them that's when it gets fun so I remember a number of years ago woman comes to me and she says, here, I wanna give you this chip. And so it was from a 12-step program and it was her 10-year chip. I said, oh, hey, that's great. Why are you giving it to me? She goes, don't you remember that when I finally realized I needed to get sober, I came, and you're the first person I talked to, and you connected me with the woman who's still my sponsor to this day. I said, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I do remember. She goes, and I wanted you to have this. She goes, now let me tell you the rest of the story. She says, now I sponsor, and I can't remember how many. It was several young ladies. And what was interesting is she, when she was talking about her own sobriety, she was it was almost like a sense of accomplishment, but it was very kind of subdued, and you could tell it had been hard fought for. When she began to talk about the young women she was sponsoring, she just lit up It was just like, and let me tell you about the people I'm helping, and these girls, and they're doing so good, and one of them's got six months, one of them's got, and and, and because the fun part of Christianity is the through. It's when God works through you to help somebody else. That's the fun part. And so when it says that David served God's purpose, that's the through part. Now, here's what we know about David. God worked in David a lot because he had to because David was a mess. David did bad stuff. He did bad stuff, and yet God was not only working in him but working through him to establish an entire nation of Israel. And so I think that until we come to grips with why you're here, not just generally, I know how I got here, but why? Why do you have certain likes and dislikes? Why do you find yourself tearing up at certain situations and not others? Why do you find yourself passionate about some and and deeply displeased about others? Why? Because God has created you with a specific plan in mind, a purpose. And until you find that, Christianity and life in general isn't all that it could be. You're walking around a little dizzy and not seeing the right things, if I could use that analogy. So um, here's the deal Um, What purpose are you serving? You're serving a purpose, whether you know it or not. You're serving some purpose. If you're a person who likes to to buy stuff and and make other people rich, you're a consumer. If you're a person who like to put people in power where they deserve it or not, you're a voter. (laughs) I might be a little cynical. Um, If you're a person who is making money for the person you work for, you're an employee. If you're serving the people who live in your home, you're probably a parent, right? Um, uh, Maybe you say, well, I I serve myself. Well, then then you're probably addicted (laughs) to self because you can never get enough to fulfill your urges. And so you're in pursuit of an empty possibility, an empty dream, it's not possible. Uh, But... If you decide to serve God, that your purpose is to serve God, then you have something that not only is uh, worthwhile, but it is fulfilling, and it is a part of what is talked about when David served God's purpose. Now, I was thinking about this, uh, David served God's purpose. Now, there's there's an, uh, uh, an enlightening thing here, and I don't want to put the passage up yet. I don't want to hold the passage. I'm going to read it, part of it, and then I'm going to tell you about it, and then I want to put the whole passage up if they'll hold off for a second it's in Acts 13, just a little earlier, Paul's talking here. And it says, after removing Saul, so he's going through the lineage and, and the kings and highlights of the history of Israel. After removing Saul, talking about God, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, I know my whole life that David was a man after God's own heart, but I often misunderstood why David was a man after God's own heart. I thought it was because of, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, the more artistic side of it. David. David is a songwriter. He wrote songs. He sang. He played the harp. He did all of these things. I always thought, that's what it means to be a man after a person after God's heart is you're, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of that kind of person. Nothing wrong with that kind of person. Problem is, I'm not that kind of person. I can't I can't do songs. I like write, sing, do anything. I can't do any of that. I can't do that stuff. I, I, I never even tried to play harp. I might be good at it, but I'm probably not. And, and so I was looking at, at David going, he's I a man after God's own heart, but the problem is I don't do the after heart kind of stuff, you know, there was a side of David that seemed kind of more more gentle and, and more feeler kind of guy, you know, and I'm like, ah, mm. and then I read this passage in Acts 16, 22. Now you can put the passage up. So let me read the, the rest of that passage for you. And, and do we have it? We don't have it? Okay, don't put it up. Um, I thought we had it. And anyway, and he says, "Is uh, a man after God's honor. He will, here's why he's a man after God's honor. He will do everything I want him to do. God wasn't saying he was a man after his own heart because he had, he had these beautiful songs or he was more in touch with his feelings. No, it's because of what he did. He, he would do whatever God wanted him to do. So here's the picture. David, who messed up more than anybody in this room. He messed up. But David genuinely tried to do what he thought God would have him do. In other words, he understood what was important to God, what God's heart was about, and therefore it was important to him, and so that's what made him a man after God's own heart. And I was thinking about that. That's within reach of all of us. You may not play the harp. You may not sing, whatever. I, you know, people are saying, I love him, envy him all day, but the reality is, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, if you have breath. You can do what it is that God would have you do. You can have a heart for God in that way. It's about doing. So I thought that was really interesting and insightful and and helpful to me as I thought about him being uh, man after God's own heart. Now, I was reading an article recently, it's by Mark Galley, editor uh, uh, at uh, Christianity Today. And he was writing about evangelicals, evangelicals, Christians. And he was saying what is unique about evangelicals uh, are a couple of things. And he was saying that we need to be careful, and I think this is really true uh, of us as Christians and how we should be. And and he says this, they have a unique spiritual mood, interesting, and a heroic piety. And he traces throughout history what this looks like, and they're very Jesus-y. I thought that was interesting. And he gives this illustration. The illustration was great. He says, if you go to Cairo, Egypt, and you go to the dump, there are people living in the dump. The, the poorest of the poor living in the dump. By the way, this is true of any underdeveloped nation in the world. You can go, there'll be people living in a dump. Well, I've seen it in Central America. I've seen it in South America. I've seen it in, um, in India. And I've seen it in Cairo as well. And so if you go into Cairo, he says, you will find some people not only living there trying to survive on what they can pick out of the garbage, but you will also find people there caring for them and he said you'll find two kinds of people one are nuns who have committed and made a vow of poverty and committed a life among the poor to help and evangelical christians because they want to live out a heroic version of their faith they want to be like jesus See, I think when we begin to realize what Christ has done for us, and we begin to understand how much he loves us, it causes us to want to have this, this walk around with this uniquely spiritual mood. And in, in other words, everything I do and everywhere I go, I have the opportunity to make a spiritual impact. Even if it's just saying hi and open a door for somebody, there's a possibility of making a spiritual impact there. And as we do that, we become this kind of heroic Christian person. So I, I read another article this week and it was really interesting because it kind of, it went hand in hand with this um, this thought and it was about a guy, he's a Christian guy and, um, and so he began to read scripture to find out what it would be like to have God's heart like David did. What would it mean to think about the world the way God thinks about the world or to act the way Jesus acted in the world and he came across a couple of passages. One was Mark. Or, uh, Matthew 3:8 says, "Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." In other words, when I understand how much God loves me. I begin to behave differently, and and, and my life bears a different kind of fruit. And then Luke 3:11, uh, and it says this: "The man who has two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same." And this kind of was the principle of giving out of your abundance. So this guy reads these passages, and in conjunction with that, he also happened to come across some statistics about um, uh, kidney transplants and how many people (coughs) need kidney transplants and that 13 people die every day on a waiting list for kidney transplants and that almost every one of us walking around have an extra kidney that we don't use. Extra kidney. And so he starts thinking about this and he starts thinking about what the Bible said about giving out of your abundance and what it would truly be like Jesus and about these people who are dying every day and then he's walking around with an extra kidney. And he comes over with this interesting idea. I should give a kidney away. And, and so he thinks, I'm going to give a kidney away. So he goes and tells his wife. She says, you're not giving a kidney away. She says, are you kidding me? You might need that kidney someday. What happens if you get injured? You need that kidney someday. Well, what if one of our kids need it? Or what if I need it? You're not giving a kidney away to a stranger. He goes, well, I, you know, I just feel like if I really want to be like Jesus and there's a need in front of me that I can meet, that I should be willing to do that. And, and she's like, definitely not. And so she kind of lets it rest for a while. And then, and then a, 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 an acquaintance, a not close friend, but an acquaintance find out has a sudden uh, medical situation where he needs a kidney immediately, he's gonna die. And so now they both know this guy, and so he comes back to her and now it's not statistics, how many people die per day, it's this guy. And, and this guy, has been te- his family's been tested, his friends been tested, everybody's been tested, nobody's a match for this guy. Honey, could I at least go test to see if I'd be a match? And so she doesn't want to do it, but she's thinking, well, nobody else is a match. You're probably not gonna be a match either. Go ahead. Well, he goes and gets tested, and guess what? Perfect match. So now he comes back. She had a perfect match. I'm so excited. And then she's like, Oh no. How am I gonna tell this guy to die? Because I don't want my husband to give up kidney. And so she starts praying, and then she starts reading these passages. It was her that was writing the article I read. And she said, okay, finally I just said, okay, okay. And so she tells the story of going to the hospital, watching him take his belongings, put them in a bag, undress, put the robe on. But what is weird is in the meantime, they've come to know the donor and his family very well, and they've become good friends. And so by the time her husband is wheeled into surgery, she is now like, I can't believe we're getting to do this. And so he gives a kidney, everything works out great. This woman in the article says two, two things that surprised me. One is after the surgery, his remaining kidney grew by 60%. They didn't tell us that would happen. There's a sermon in there somewhere. And the other thing is I came to understand it was one of the greatest things we've ever done in our whole life. He gave a kidney, kidney, I don't know where it's at, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in this region, gave a kidney lady came up to me after last service. She said, I did that last year. I said, what? She said, I did. She said, it was tough. It was physically hard, but I got to tell you, best thing I ever did. Now, am I saying go out and give a kidney? No, I'm not telling you to go give a kidney. <laughs> Unless God tells you to give a kidney or I really need one. Then <laughs> if I happen to need one, you should give one. What I'm saying is that when we begin to understand that there is a higher purpose for us being here, We might do some weird stuff. We might give away stuff. We might give away a kidney. We might give away money. We might give away our time. We might do something weird. But when we begin to have the heart of God, to feel about people the way God feels about people as his special creation, and he loves so dearly, we're a lot less likely to be in competition with them, much less angry at them, much less talk trash on them, (laughs) or honk at them at the freeway, on the freeway as I did this week. We might just find that we have the heart of Jesus and we begin to look and say, how can I help? How can I contribute? What can I do? It's a part, a part of this that I, I loved about it. A unique spiritual mood. In other words, we're walking around looking an opportunity. So suddenly we have this joke. Uh, sometimes I walk around the office just wandering around because I don't really want to work and then people, oh, do you need something? No, I'm just here being a blessing. <laughs> they laugh too. I don't know why. But the reality is, is that what if we really did walk around looking to be a blessing? What if we really did that and had the heart of God, a man or a woman after God's own heart? You see that heroic part, something about that heroic part, because to be a hero, you got to risk something and you got to do something sacrificial. That's the part that scares us a little bit. And yet I want to suggest that's the part that really counts. So let me, let me get to why I got messed up on this passage. So it says in here that David served God's purpose in his own generation. Now, I've grown up in church. I know all about church. I don't just know about going to church, I know church from the inside. My dad was a pastor, my grandfather's a pastor, all my uncles are pastors, all my cousins are pastors. I know church stuff, okay? I know church stuff. And when I started Seacoast, I started with this thought in mind. Every church I'd ever seen that ever became um, effective usually only was effective for about one generation. And it usually lasted about the tenure of the founding pastor. And then when the founding pastor stepped out, then it would begin to decline along. And if you doubt that, just drive some older neighborhoods, you'll see lots of churches that are nice buildings, empty, or something And so I just knew that. And so I just went in thinking, okay, God, you and I, like David, we're gonna do something for my generation, for my generation. And then when my generation is done, then that's your problem because I did my deal, right? Well, what's interesting is the passage doesn't say that David served God's purpose to his generation, meaning the people his age. What it says that he served God's purpose in his generation. In other words, during his lifetime. A few years ago, because I misunderstood this, a few years ago I went to a conference and it said that senior pastors, founding pastors, um, usually diminish in their effectiveness around a, a certain life stage. It wasn't an age, it was a life stage and beyond that, they begin to diminish in effectiveness, and the church doesn't wait till the pastor retires or to begin to decline. It usually begins to decline earlier, and I've seen enough churches empty that used to be really cool to know that that happened, and it just bugged me. It just kind of threw me, made me a little dizzy, kind of threw me off balance that all of our hard work here would just stop when boomers weren't as, as, uh, as easy to reach as they used to be. Because I understand boomers. I know what songs they sing and the language they speak. I know the references. I don't know millennials very well. And I just really don't know the generation out of that. And I'm thinking, well, we're done then. What do I do now? Because i always been very clear. I know how to reach boomers and how to do church for boomers. That's what I know how to do. The next generation, I don't get it. They're different. They don't make sense to me sometimes. How do I do this? And one day Cody said, Dad, you know your life first about David serving God's purpose in his generation? Yeah. Um, you realize that at the end of David's life, David had done some great things. He did, he took the nation of Israel and put it all, uh, kind of put it all together in one kingdom under his rulership, which is a good thing. He expanded the kingdom of Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. He built the capital in Jerusalem. Today, if you go to Jerusalem with us on one of our trips, you will hear the Jewish guy talk about the greatness of David building the capital there. You'll even see walls and stuff from that time. Um, he, uh, he rose up, uh, raised a military up that, that would um, defeat its enemies so nobody would keep invading them. He actually established trade routes that made him extremely prosperous. He had done a lot. Cody says to me, but dad, do you remember at the end of his life what he did? He resourced the next generations. And it dawned on me, I know what I'm supposed to do now. Suddenly the dizziness went away. I, said, I know what to do. I'm not supposed to reach the next generation, it's just me, but I'm supposed to equip those who can. If you see our team, I'm the oldest guy on the team. They remind me of that all the time. <laughs> but I'm the oldest guy on the team because you know what I'm about these days? Is equipping them to reach their generations. Do you know why we did that hard work in the children's building and now we have more children than we've ever had? We have almost 600 children out there every weekend. <laughs> Because we need to equip the next generations. So here's here's where we're at, and I just wanna tell you about this real quick. We have been praying, our staff's actually been fasting and praying, and we've been talking for a long time about this. And We've engaged some outside people to help us um, with our campus, and so we wanna present over the next couple of weeks um, what the next, I don't know if it'll take all 30 years, but the next 15 of the next 30 years will look like. And we have, we've been praying about it, and we have some pretty good ideas. Uh, we have some great ideas for the campus, and uh, that we think can really, we already have in place some deals that when the track closes, we reconfigure, we can talk about that, we'll show you some pictures, um, some kind of sketches of what we're looking at, what we think's gonna happen. Um, we also have been uh, praying about how we reach next generation. So one of the things that uh, we're going to have a, a couple of meetings. We'll talk about it on the weekends a little bit. but We're going to go in depth uh, next Tuesday, not this Tuesday, a week from Tuesday. I think it's 8 and 9. Tuesday and Wednesday night here in the lobby. You're welcome to come for an informational meeting because we want you to not only hear what we're talking about, we want you to give input. And so we're going to talk to you about not only what the future of our campus looks like, but also what the future of ministry may look like. So what we have spent a lot of time in the last few years studying millennials. That's a part of why our children's program is growing. It's mostly millennial parents bringing their kids, and we're starting to get some, some handles on that. Cody is a millennial, he understands that. We're really focused, but you need to hear what, um, from what our youth pastor uh, is saying about that. Matt has been studying um, the next two generations, Generation Z and some are calling the next one Gen Y, and they're very different. Very Matter of fact, some of the early um, statistics that we're finding are very disturbing about the kind of world that they're living in and the kind of mindset that they're being raised in. It's kind of scary, but we think, we believe we have found a key that may long-term allow us to continue to minister and help people so that we don't just kind of disappear and go away. So that as these younger pastors step in, that we know what we need and we want to equip them and set them up to, to win by reaching their their people. So uh, lifestyle and organization, when I was doing my uh, um, graduate studies, um, I studied the uh, the life cycles of an organization. It's just a bell curve, right? Uh, But there are ways to interrupt that downward slide. If you go like this and then you start up again, in business terms, it has to do with entrepreneurialism. In Christian terms, it has to do with evangelism. And we believe that we are finding some keys for the next generation to be reached and the one after that. And so what we're asking you to do over the next um, two weeks is to pray. Just pray daily that our church will not just be one that slowly dies, but that is the greater things in this church are in the future, not in the past. And I truly believe that, by the way, by the the young team we have together and what we're seeing God leading us to and already seeing some early signs. We believe the future is going to be greater than the past. So I want you to pray toward that end. I also want you to pray uh, about some ideas you might want to share with us, some things that you think might be helpful for us as we're thinking about the next 10 years, the next 15 years. What might be helpful, uh, not only with the configuration of our campus, but even the configuration of our ministries. We would be interested in that. And and if you'd come to one of the meetings or share a note with us, that would be helpful. And then thirdly, I want you to pray about getting involved um, two ways, financially and serving. We're gonna ask you to pay for some stuff. We're gonna ask, we together, to pay for some stuff. We're gonna ask you to do that. We're gonna talk about it next week. Uh, We need to do some reconfiguration of our campus that we think has a strategic impact, just like we're doing the children's building did. We believe this will have a bigger impact in generations to come. So we'll tell you about that. We're gonna ask you to pray about what God might ask you to give, uh, to be a part of that. And not only to give financially, but to serve. The way you find your purpose. Last week, Connie's up here. She loves her job. You don't know the background story and all that stuff, but she was up t- She loves her job. She used to teach. She used to even play in the band. She was okay. She didn't love it. She, she no, she didn't love, it. didn't love it. But you know what she loves? She loves empowering those who do teach and have that gift. She loves empowering those who do play and sing and setting it up so they get to do it every week in honor of God. And it took her a long time doing all those jobs to find out where she was supposed to play. If you don't know why you're here on this earth, start experimenting, start trying ways to serve, and you will find the place you were created to play, the unique gifts and abilities. And so the other thing I want you to do is not only support financially, find a place to play because it's for you. It's the fun part. Don't miss out on the fun part. So next week we're gonna tell you some more about uh, these plans, the meeting, put it on your calendar, eight, and nine, Tuesday, Wednesday, in the lobby. We're gonna share with you and then take questions and talk about it. And we're very excited about the next uh, 30 years. And, and we really feel like we've, we've got some good insights. And we're pretty, pretty pumped about it. So we'll be sharing those with you over the next few weeks and during that meeting, okay? So thank you for letting me share. Let's have a word of prayer and then I'll let you go. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. We believe that you have a plan for us individually and for us as a church. Your plans always is not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. And Lord God, I believe that the future of this church and the future of the individuals within it is even greater than the past. And so Lord God, as we gear up and we strategize on how to move forward in meaningful ministry to the upcoming generations. Lord God, I pray that you will just enthuse everything that we do, that you will empower by the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, that we as a group will come together and decide that we're not done, that we want to sign on for another run, and we want to do something that might be a little bit courageous. It might be a little bit heroic. It might cost us a little something. It might be a little risk. But Lord God, let us never just be comfortable and satisfied when there are still people out there that don't know you yet. So Lord God, work in our hearts now so that, we, so that you can work through us in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.